Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, everyone. We're just so thankful that you could join us this morning, whether you're online or you're here in person. It's excited to see you. The sun is shining. It's a great day. If you're joining us for the first time, we are walking through Romans. And so I just want you to know you can find the sermon notes at thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes. But let's jump right back in. If you have your Bibles or your smartphone, you're gonna get, I'm going to get you to swipe back to Romans chapter 12. Or you can follow along on the screen behind me. But today we're going to be chewing on verses 3 through 8. So let's get right to it. Let's read today's portion, and then I'll pray for our time together. Let's start. Let's make sure everyone's there. Okay. Paul says, starting in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us before we continue. Lord, we thank you for your living word and your far-reaching grace today. We thank you. And we ask that you would do a work in us today by your spirit and teach us how to be your body and use your gifts. Help us to know to understand, and to live in your loving kindness. And so we honor you with our time together today. We love you. Amen. Amen. Let me begin by sharing something outstanding with you. I'm really excited about this. If you turn your attention to the screen, you will behold one of the finest automobiles you have ever seen. This Magnificent Stallion is the first-generation Ford Focus SE hatchback. Some of you, you know it. I know. It leaves you speechless, doesn't it? <laughs> there are no words. I get it. You know, I don't think you're quite appreciating this majestic vehicle yet. Adrian, can you give us another angle? There we go. Wow. That one's blue. Adrian, I didn't know it came in blue. Amazing. As you can tell, I love the Ford Focus SE hatchback. And there's a story behind that. The Ford Focus SE hatchback is the first and only car that's ever been given to me for free. Yeah, seriously, for free. It was back when Dom and I were back in college dating still. And I was a serial pedestrian. I walked everywhere. I took the bus everywhere. I was on the train all day. There, that was until I met Dominique. And so, not only was she beautiful, but she had a car. Right? 
win-win, right? And naturally, as we began to spend all of our time together, she became my ride. And it was so glorious and wonderful until eventually it was not, right? You know, there was just some places you couldn't take the bus to, so she was giving me a lot of rides, and the commute became grueling, and we put a lot of travel hours in. And, you know, Dom didn't really mind. She was tired, yes, but she didn't mind. But her stepdad took notice to this. And then one evening after visiting, visiting her parents' house, we prepared for Dom to drive me home, as he, we usually did. And that's when her stepdad, Bill, chimed in. He said, why don't you just take the car? And I didn't know what he meant at first. I was like, what is he talking about? Was he suggesting I just take his? And so Bill pulled out a pair of keys, and he handed them to me. And he said, go look outside. So Dom and I went outside, and there it was. Parked on the street was the marvelous Ford Focus SE hatchback in all its glory. I was floored. I, I, I've never received anything like this. Have you? Like, a free car. I couldn't believe it. I was like, is this a cruel joke? And, you know, in all honesty, back then, I wasn't really good at receiving gifts from anyone. But Bill and Kathy reassured me that it wasn't a joke. And even better yet, it was insured for a whole year. Amazing, right? It was all too much for me, though. As I held back tears, I tried to think of some reason this would be happening to me. Why was this happening? And I know, I can't imagine why, but I know that you probably don't love hatchbacks as much as me. But what do you do with a gift like that? It didn't make sense to me. I didn't deserve it. I hadn't done anything to earn it. Sure, I needed a car, but what a humbling experience for someone to see my need and just give me a car. Something like that stays with you, doesn't it? It changes you. In the same way, God's grace is a free gift. And how much more has he given to us. It changes our entire lives. It transforms the way we see ourselves, each other, and our purpose in the world. And so in today's passage, Paul gives a special instruction on spiritual gifts. And so for those of you who are new to the faith, these gifts are part of the spiritual inheritance that all believers receive from God. And we would love to help you discover what those gifts are. But each believer's gift is different and serves a particular purpose. And like our salvation that we have in Jesus, we didn't earn these gifts. They came freely through that faith in Jesus. For example, you may be uniquely empowered for hospitality like my friend Kincaid. Some of you know him. And you're nodding your head. And you're like, yeah. You might be uniquely gifted in administration like my wife. Or you might be gifted in the mercy, in acts of mercy, or various other gifts. There's just so many. But these spiritual gifts are part, part of much, a much larger, more lavish outpouring of God's grace. Like cupcakes at a carnival. They're just part of a bigger picture than you and me and our church. There's so much more going on here. So, so far in Romans chapter 12, Paul has called us to surrender our lives, first as an individual and now as a community, transformed people, part of a transformed community. And I believe that God's grace does that. Now, for some of you who are wondering, grace is just a way of describing God's favor and kindness to us. And Paul shows us here three ways that the grace of spiritual gifts appear in the life of a believer. 
First through our faith, in our community, and for our service. So let's break it down. First, Paul shows us spiritual gifts as God's grace through faith. Paul says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, Paul is using what he calls the grace given to him, in other words, the apostolic gift of leadership that was given to him, to call believers to humble themselves through proper self-assessment, to make a sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. But why? Let's think about this for a moment. Let me ask you this. Have you ever compared yourself with someone else? You don't have to say it out loud. You might look at what somebody else has and feel something, naturally. You see what someone has and you feel either pretty good or pretty bad. Both are a problem. Sometimes you start thinking to yourself, look at so-and-so's gift. They, wow, they are so lucky. Or you look at someone else and you're like, oh man, look at his gift. That's too bad. But before long, if you're not careful, every time you look at someone, you get out your gift and your measuring stick and you start comparing and measuring yourself against others. And sometimes you can be too lenient with yourself and too judgmental with others. And the pride, this pride begins to rise within you. Then that feeling, that feeling that you've created of superiority can be intoxicating. And Paul is warning us about that problem, poor judgment. Think about it this way. Some of you may know that as we get older, it is wise not to drink too much wine, right? And, you know, but how often do we check to see if we're becoming drunk with pride? Like a strong drink, it can consume you. It can blur your vision and cause you to stumble. And before you know it, your pride has left a body count in its wake. Have you ever been there? I've let my pride get in the way several times. Maybe more. Depends on who you ask. And, and to be honest, not only does it damage relationships, but it's exhausting to keep comparing yourselves with others. Can't we just leave comparison on Instagram? Low blow? Okay. Um, so the question is, how can we assess ourselves? Is it by how often my wife rolls her eyes at me? Is it by comparing ourselves? Well, Paul says that we should use a new standard. He says we should judge ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this is tricky business as we read this, because some might interpret this to mean something very different. You might be tempted to see this as to say, we can assess ourselves by how much faith we have. And that couldn't be further from the truth. If you judge yourself in this way, you might be running around making excuses for your pride. It's not a problem. I'm just, you know, I just have more faith than you. Have you ever heard that excuse before? Maybe you judge, um, maybe people judge you unfairly because you're not as vocal or enthusiastic or charismatic. Maybe your gift isn't one that society applauds or idolizes. And their actions and these words seem to say, well, if you had more faith, 
So if that's you, if that's happened to you, if you've been made to feel that way, I have good news for you today. The truth is, where faith increases, humility increases also. It's exactly what the opposite of what you'd expect. Paul says, we assess ourselves seriously based on the measure of faith that God has assigned. Not the one that we could muster up. Not the measurement that we've created for ourselves. See how pride can mix things up? So instead, Paul is saying we should judge ourselves using a standard that God has given us. Which is not the amount of faith we have, but the faith that we all share. The faith that emerges from a deep place of self-awareness that leads us to a greater God awareness. This is from a place of need that causes us to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And when God meets us in that place of desperation with his favor, we are humbled by it. Otherwise, we wouldn't need faith. You know, in Ephesians 2, Paul says it so well. He makes this point so well. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own dealing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So then, if we assess ourselves in the light of God's grace today, how can we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, than we should? Where can our boasting come from? We did nothing. To earn this, to receive this, to make it work. And so in the same way, how can we boast about our spiritual gifts? If we see ourselves correctly, we will not see our gifts as an opportunity to brag. But instead, we are humbled by how graciously he has given to us. But wait, listen, there's more to grace. So you see, our pride, it can divide us. But God's grace can unite us. And so these spiritual gifts were meant for something bigger than ourselves. So Paul shows us spiritual gifts as God's grace in community. You know, it's God's grace when a diverse group of people are united around anything, right? Especially right now. This last year, I have seen it. I am so proud of how our community has been united and caring for one another despite our differences, our opinions, our gifts. And see, this is what Paul is talking about. In verse 4, Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. In other words, because of Christ, we are one. Jesus did that. Because of Jesus, we are united by a common faith and the same experience of grace. So when we are united with Christ, we all experience the same benefits of the body. For example, in Christ, we have found a new identity. We belong to a collective of diverse and unique individuals who are united under Jesus as Lord. Amen? All right, you're here. Okay. In Christ, number two, we have found purpose. We discover his will for our life and a place to use our spiritual gifts. Three, in Christ, we have found a way to care for his body. And so when we use our gifts to care for other believers, with four people, uh, we care for Christ's very body itself. And it pleases Christ, our head, when he sees his body taking care of itself. And that one body has many parts with their various functions. You and me and the guy in the lobby, they belong to the body, those functions, those gifts. 
So no matter what you look like, where you come from, or what your spiritual gift is, you belong to the body because of your relationship with Jesus. And so even your gifts belong to one another. Why? Well, because the spiritual gifts are given for the common good. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this about the spiritual gifts. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit, the gifts and otherwise, for the common good. And that common good is the body of Christ. And so Paul talks about our community like he would talk about a body. The body is one of the leading metaphors for the church in the New Testament. And it's so helpful to us because our society is so often dysfunctional and dismembered. We don't hang around with people typically who don't look like us or live like us or express their faith like us. But the body of Christ is different. It truly captures the organic, diverse, interconnected, and kaleidoscopic nature of what the church can be. And so our spiritual gifts are God's grace in community. Together we share the riches of God's kindness towards us. Alone we might know a portion of God's favor, but together we can experience so much more. How? Well, because our members are all interconnected. See, a member finds strength in the whole, and a whole is strengthened by a member. One, when one bleeds, the whole body suffers. And when another is fed, the whole body is nourished. We share our gifts. Everybody wins. There is nothing like the spiritual benefits of Christ's body. And in Christ's body, God shows his greatest kindness to us. A believer without a community is like a thumb without an arm or a leg without a torso. It's completely cut off from the gifts of God's grace to his people. And so the truth is, is our culture can deform us, but the body can restore us. Think of it this way. If any part of the body is damaged apart from the body, how can it heal? You know, it turns green, it dies, it withers, and something funky starts growing on it. But if you are one with the body, the whole collective labor labors to care for you. We get together and we minister to you. This is the grace of God at work through the spiritual gifts in community. And in the body of Christ, we are experience God's kindness individually, but also collectively. Here we discover that God's grace is undeniable in community. And through our relationship with Christ and his body, by God's grace, we are becoming more like him together. So I'm willing to bet that you've benefited from God's gifts of grace in the body of Christ. You know, how about the time your refrigerator was empty and some gracious, generous soul filled it? That's the spiritual gifts at work in the body. Or, Or when you needed someone to guide you and a shepherd walked alongside you. That's the spiritual gifts at work in the body. Or remember that one time the community had a need and somebody organized an event? That was the spiritual gifts at work in the body. And if only we were more aware of how often God's grace is at work in our community, maybe we would be more inclined to regularly join him in that work. See, Paul shows us here that we are products of God's grace that belong to a community of his favor. And so this truth produces this attitude of humility in us, and it unites our body. And finally, Paul teaches us how God's favor changes how we use our gifts in the body. So in verse 6, Paul shows us spiritual gifts as God's grace for serving. 
And so in verse 6, Paul says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, here Paul is doing two things. See, first he is summarizing what he's told us, his message. He reminds us again that our varying gifts are pure grace. He reminds us that our varying gifts should be used for the common good. And that then he makes one final point. Paul says something very interesting. Paul tells us that we should each stick to our own lane. What does that mean? Naturally, he gives us some examples so we can figure it out. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy, just prophesy well, faithfully according to what the Spirit is saying and what the Spirit has said in his word. If you have the gift of serving, serve others well. Don't take over, just, just help and leave it at that. And so on and so forth. He's telling us just to do what God has gifted us to do. And do it well. Nothing more, nothing less. You see, each of you, each of us has a unique gift. God's grace is at work in your life in a special way. Don't try to be something that you're not. Don't try to dictate to God how he should show you favor. Just accept his gifts. Just accept what he has given you. You know, the Apostle Peter said that we have a responsibility for our gifts. He wrote, each of us has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use our gifts to serve one another. Listen, that's our job. You honor God when you use your gift well. The Bible says that the Spirit gives his gifts as he wills for his purposes. And so you don't have to worry about how people value your gift or what they think of your gift or how they measure your gift Your gift is not a measure of your value. You are already so dear to God. You are invaluable to God. It's a gift, not a report card, right? It's an opportunity. And so we have these gifts because God has shown his kindness to all of us. We did not make them, these gifts. We did not choose them. We could not earn them, nor do we even make them work. All we are responsible for is using them. And so freely we have received, and so freely we give. And that's how God's grace changes everything. It challenges our cultural norms, what we usually do, our attitudes and our behaviors. And at the deepest level, it knows the disposition of our hearts and it defies it. You may twist it or try to ignore it, but you cannot change the grace of God and what he has given you, what's available to you. And so God has a gift that is waiting for each of you in this room or at home. And there's only one correct response to this kindness. Can you see it? Can you see what the response to this gift is? Let me show you. I want to tell you an ancient story. We're shifting things as we close here for a little bit. An ancient story of how a gift can change your life. It will help you understand God's grace as Paul and the, and the Roman church did. 
Okay, there was once a wealthy man in Philippi named Diocles. His family made its fortune for generations in the gold mines near the city. And his empire, Diocles had many estates throughout Macedonia. In a few city blocks away from Diocles' home lived a man named Balin. And Balin owned a small family bakery. And before him, his father and his grandfather baked barley loaves and sacrificial cakes to sell. And, you know, bakers in ancient Macedonia worshipped Fornax, the goddess of ovens, you know, as one does. And one day, Balin must have angered the goddess, or so he thought, because his bakery caught fire and it was destroyed. And he was distraught. And although there were a few banks in Philippi, no bank will loan money to a cursed bank baker. How would he even repay the loan anyways? Like many in the ancient world, he could barely provide for his family as it was. His only hope, his only hope was a relationship. And so Balin goes to visit Diocles. And that morning, like every morning, many people gather outside Diocles' door. And each meets to see whether he needs anything done that day, make a request for help, and receive any benefits that he might wish to give. These people had come to enjoy a relationship with Diocles as their patron. And Balin joins, joins the end of the line and is brought before Diocles. And he explains his problem, what happened to his bakery, and asks for help rebuilding it. And Diocles, you know, he's not required to help Balin for any social or moral reason. But he is able and he is willing. So he decides to help him. It brings Diocles such great joy to welcome all people into his patronage. So Diocles gives the baker the resources to build, rebuild his bakery. He might provide funds. Sometimes he asks the builder in his patronage to help Balin. Another time he provides the building materials from another person in his patronage. Diocles often provides a mix of resources from his social network, but he does what he will. And Balin, he's just so shocked. He did not earn this gift, and he would not be able to pay it back to Diocles, but he would be expected to reciprocate in that culture. And so Diocles has invested in Balin's life, so Balin will invest in his life. He will do this by showing gratitude to Diocles. And for Balin, his gratitude is far more than words. Balin will be loyal to Diocles. And from now on, he bakes bread for his family and all the people in his extended circle. He does it because he wants to participate in the life of Diocles. Because he is so thankful. Now, everyone in Philippi would have known about Balin's fire. And about Diocles' grace. They knew that Diocles helped the baker, and many would give him honor for it. Especially Balin, he would boast of Diocles' goodness to all who would listen. Everyone who buys his bread will hear of Balin's gratefulness towards Diocles. Some would even come to know his goodness for him themselves. You see, Balin's story represents how ancient Romans saw the world. And this is how they would hear Paul's message. And this story illustrates how they would understand God's grace. So when they had nothing and their lives were in ruin, they came, they came before a gracious God. Just as Balaam became, came before Diocles. This God who owed them nothing, yet gave freely to them because he was able and willing. And by his grace, he bestowed his many gifts on them. 
Ones that could not be earned or reimbursed. In return, they put their faith in him. This is the beginning of a relationship. Better yet, a community and a new way of life. They were loyal to him, to each other, grateful for him, and did everything to honor him. But can we say the same thing? In today's culture, patronage seems like an ugly word. It seems like we're bound by things that we don't like. But isn't God our patron? Aren't we his benefactors? We enjoy all his benefits. We have a faith in his son Jesus, a part in his body, and free spiritual gifts. And so what shall we say and do about God's special grace to each of us? I think Balin's ancient story reveals the answer to us. All that, of, that God's kindness demands from us is genuine gratitude played out in everyday life. That we would honor him with the gifts he has given to us in every way. Through our faith, in his body, and with our gifts. See, gratitude fully acknowledges that these gifts of grace are not from me. But God gave them freely, and I am thankful just to carry them and to use them to honor him. So before we close, I'm going to invite the band back up. But I want you to think about this. How can you show gratitude to God in this new season? What does that look like? So many of you are so gifted. That's God's grace. How can you show your gratitude to God in this new season? So before we pray, just think about that. Here's my working theory. My working theory is that gratitude itself should be our guide as the Holy Spirit empowers us and reveals. But here's a couple questions to help you assess yourself. Um, question number one you can ask yourself as you just think and pray am I being thankful when pride rises up within me when I'm using my gift am I being thankful when pride rises within me number two am I satisfied when I cause division in the body Am I really being sad, like acting like I'm satisfied when I cause division in the body? By withholding gifts or using them wrong, the wrong way? Number three, am I content when I step outside of my gift? Am I being content when I say, my gift's not enough, I'm going to do this as well? Am I content when I step outside of my gift set? How can we show our gratitude in this season? Let me pray for us as we close. Lord God, we just want to say thank you today. We're just so thankful for your gifts, for your grace, for your body, for your son. And so for your grace, for your gifts, and that precious body, we we want to say that you've changed everything. We will never be the same. Help us honor you this week with our gifts. We love you.
Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.